Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh, although I once also had confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. One of the pastors here. Oh, here I am. I'm here. Hello. Um, Let me pray for us. Uh, Please keep that uh, open at Philippians 3. Uh, Father, we want to thank you so much uh, that you are such a good God and that what you have to offer us is... um, is all good, uh, that you have joy on offer for us. Your command is that we rejoice in you. And so, Father, we pray that this evening you'd help us see why that might be a good thing to do, why that might be a natural thing to do as we know Jesus. Please uh, clear our heads, clear our minds, help us focus in on your words. We pray that tonight they would be more than words on a page, but be words of life to us. Please speak to us as we need to be spoken to uh, for our joy and for your glory. Amen. So verse one's a great verse, isn't it? Let's look down there again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. What a great command. You're God. You can command anything for people. What do you command? Rejoice. It's a good command. Uh, Philippians is big on joy. 14 times throughout the letter, he talks about joy. He really wants us to have joy. Um, chapter four, verse, I think it's three, four, four, sorry. It's a good verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Look, I'll just, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. He's keen on this. Joy. And then verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Calm down, Paul. Can we go back to verse 1 just for a second, please? I mean, I like verse 1. I'm not sure about verse 2. But what, what, why does he go on about that? It seems like in Philippi, uh, this church where Paul has visited, he started the church, um, it sounds like there's some people who've come in and they're trying to teach the Christians there, 
uh, you guys don't quite have it all. Like, if you really want to be right with God, if you want to be right, righteous before God, there's just you just need to do some other stuff. In fact, you need you need to kind of be slightly different people. Um, these are kind of it seems, sounds like they're Jewish people. They're saying you need to be circumcised, men. You need to kind of take on that sign to show that you're part of the Jewish people, um, and then you'll be kind of more righteous with God. You'll be right with God. I know you might actually be here tonight and think, yeah, that's kind of, that's right, isn't it? Um, maybe leave the circumcision things to the side, but isn't that what Christians say? You need to kind of do some stuff so that you can be right with God. Well, Paul's not going to have a bar of it. He says, no, that is completely wrong. And he's scathing, isn't he? Dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Now, why why does he go here after talking so much about joy? Uh, a little while ago, I read um, about these lawyers in Brazil who were, um, they were trying to make a constitutional amendment to protect the individual pursuit of happiness. So the constitution enshrined this protection of each of us to be able to pursue happiness. Sounds right. Uh, I think that's almost kind of a little bit of what Paul's doing here. He actually wants to protect their happiness. He wants to protect, more than that, their joy. He fights false teaching for the sake of joy. Joy, of course, is, is, is bigger than happiness. It's deeper than happiness. We often think uh, happiness is a little bit like the rain. It comes and goes. Joy is like the sun. Even when it's cloudy, behind the clouds, there is this deep-seated, abiding consistent, deep positivity in our hearts, joy. And Paul believes that if we get Jesus right, if we get the truth about Jesus and what he's done and we really trust in him, joy. And if that truth gets twisted up, then our joy gets choked. And so He wants to come out against this false teaching. He says, chapter 1, verse 25, he says, My job is actually your progress in the faith and your joy in the faith. That's what I want to see happen. And so it's part of his job to come out against this false teaching and say, No, it's rubbish. Don't go there. Don't go there. So he says in verse 3, it's kind of like a summary of where we're going to go for the rest of the night. He says, No, no. We are the circumcision. These guys, they're coming saying, you need to get circumcised, men at least, and come and be part of our group because we're the ones who are righteous. And he says, no, 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 that's us. (laughs) We're already there. I'm circumcised in the heart. We belong to him. In fact, they're the dogs, Gentile dogs. Dogs doesn't just mean friendly canines, Dalmatians and whatnot. It it, it means it's, it's... it's what Gentiles were. It's what the Jews said to the Gentiles. You're dirty dogs. Paul says, no, that's them. You've already got it, guys. You, you are the circumcised. He goes on in verse 3. You are the ones already who serve by the Spirit of God. That's what the whole Old Testament was working towards. You guys are there already. You're the ones who boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. That's the truth about Jesus. No confidence in the flesh, but boast in him. This is where joy's at, friends. This is it. This, that's the kind of the equation. No confidence in my flesh, boast in Christ, 
It's where joy is found. And Paul says they're trying to rob you of that. Hence the language. So that's kind of a summary of where we're going tonight. Um, if you're bored, you can go to sleep now. No, that's, that's kind of it, really. Um, we're going to see in a moment how Paul flushes that right out and uses himself as the example to make more sense of that little summary. Uh, but I want to pause for just a second and say, who cares? Um, why should we keep listening? Why is this important? Uh, I think the reason is, apart from the fact that it's true, um, joy. Uh, do you like joy? <laughs> you like being happy and having real deep joy? Uh, I hope so. Um, Augustine said, every person seeks happiness bar none. And anything else you seek besides happiness, you actually seek for the sake of happiness. Um, we do. We all want happiness. Deeper than that, we want joy. Where are you looking for it? Are you finding it? In friendships and experiences and this, that, and the other, is it, is it, is it lasting? Because Paul says that on offer here, we've got joy, real, deep, abiding joy. Are you interested? Would you like some of that? I hope you'll see, friends, as we spend this time together, that real joy is on offer in Jesus through righteousness, the righteousness that, that comes through Jesus. And hope you'll see it's worth fighting for as well. But let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Paul uses himself as an example. And the first place he looks is uh, the example of seeking righteousness in yourself. So, so let's look down at the text, dig in a little bit. Uh, we're going to start at verse 4. So Paul has just said, um, we are the ones who do not put confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, although I once also had confidence in the flesh. Um, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day, that's when it was meant to happen, of the nation of Israel, God's people, of the tribe of Benjamin, a special tribe, kings came from there, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. I was like, I was legit. I, I did it properly. I was strict. I was a good guy. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. I was hot for God. You know, I took this seriously. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, this is almost like a summary, blameless. Those guys, Philippians, those guys were coming in and trying to tell you to do stuff different, be different. I had all of that. I was their pinup guy. You know, if God had a, like a profit and loss statement, I was all profit. There was nothing in the loss. Blameless. I was the guy. I got it all. And all these things Paul speaks about are, are really, they're, they're good things. Apart from maybe persecuting the church, put that to the side for a moment, they're good things. The problem is, Paul put his confidence there before God. He thought, God's going to approve of me. God's going to welcome me. I'm going to be right before God, righteous before God because... Well, I was circumcised on the eighth day and I belonged to the tribe of Benjamin and, and I was blameless before the law. I did the right things and I was the right kind of person. That's why I'm righteous before God. That was his confidence before God. And I tell you, friends, uh, it is very easy to slide in to that kind of thinking. Perhaps you're there at the moment. We think that we might be right before God. Well, because I'm a pretty good person. 
I look around, I read the newspaper, there's people doing terrible stuff. I'm actually pretty good in comparison. I, I, I kind of think, you know, I, I'm interested in the environment. You know, I go to church. I'm actually on the roster. I run a hive group. You know, all these things, we, we load them up. They're good things. The problem is when we put our confidence in them before God, we seek our righteousness in those things. Now, you might uh, be sitting here, you're not a Christian, you don't even believe in God, and you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me, this has got nothing to do with me. I think it absolutely does. I actually think that all people, no matter who you are, you're seeking righteousness. You just don't know it. We're seeking somehow this, this kind of acceptance or this kind of tick of approval from all over the place. We're not even sure who to seek it from, and so we seek it from our boss and our friends and our peers and the world out there, we try to wear the right things and do the right things and say the right things because we're desperate for that kind of, you're okay, you know, you're welcome, you've got the tick, you're right. And we seek it and we seek it and we work for it. It's this constant background whirring. I've got to be a good employee. I've got to be a good at my career. I'm going to have the right relationship. I'm going, to, I'm going to look right and I'm going to eat right and I'm, going to, and I'm going to be on the right social media and say the right things and we keep seeking and seeking and we never really quite get there because the thing we're after is something we can't get. The thing we're actually after is a righteousness with the God who made us and we never even brought him into the equation. And so we seek to do and to be, but we never get there. Uh, my wife, Olivia, recently uh, applied for a new job. She had to write a new resume because she hasn't had a job for a while. Um, and uh, it's a tricky thing. We haven't written, neither of us have written for a resume for a while. So we just kind of sat in front of the computer together going, what do you, what do, you do here? Like, got to make yourself look good but not lie and kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of want to be humble, but you can't be humble. Mm, how do you do that? I wonder... What would you write on your resume before God? No. I want to be right with you, God. I want to be in a good relationship, accepted by you. What am I going to write? How would, what would you write on verse 4 to 6? What would be your verse 4 to 6 list? My confidence before God is... Be honest with yourself. At AM church this morning, Paul Dale was preaching and I was sitting there thinking, I think I too easily put confidence in the way that I serve God. Well, that's Paul's, the first part of Paul's example. Uh, he was seeking righteousness in himself, what he did and who he was. Uh, but what does he make of all that now? This is the second part. Look down with me at verse 7. The tables totally flip. But everything that was a gain to me, profit and loss, it was all in the big profit column there, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. I've suddenly, it's switched over to loss column. Why? Then again, in verse 8, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of blah, blah, blah. Everything's now a loss. What? Hang on. How did that happen? What's the reason? I'm sure you spotted it. The reason there, verse 7, because of Christ. Verse 8, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's because of him 
that I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, from what I've done and who I am, but one that is through faith in Christ or the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I had all those things in my profit column, but they were blinding me from seeing Christ and my need for him. And so my conclusion is loss. Verse 8 uses the word filth, which the word scubala is, it's kind of like you could use, maybe crap's a good translation, like it's rude. It's, it's stuff you just want to chuck out, maybe feces. This is, it's worse than rubbish. The stuff that was blocking me from seeing my need for Christ and seeing righteousness in Christ, it's worse than rubbish. They kept those things. They kept Paul seeking a righteousness of his own. Verse 9, a righteousness from the law. It kept him laboring. It kept the cogs whirring. But now, in Christ, he has a righteousness not of law. The righteousness that's from God, the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, through the faithfulness of Christ. It's not that he has done something or been the right kind of person. It's that God has done something in Christ and then given it to Paul. God has given us his righteous son from all of eternity. God the Father and Son, perfect fellowship, perfect righteousness that the Son experienced, beautiful relationship. And then this son stepped into our world, Philippians 2. He, he made himself nothing. He took our righteous unrighteousness upon himself. We're always seeking this righteousness with God. Whether we're Christian or not, we're seeking this righteousness because we know we don't have it. We're unrighteous. We're seeking it. And yet Jesus stepped into our world, took our unrighteousness upon himself, went to the cross, and God raised him to life again and, 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 and proclaimed him to be the righteous one, perfectly in union with him, perfectly accepted by the Father. Righteous, you are approved, my son. This is what God is proclaiming in the resurrection. You are approved. You are my son. Vindicated, righteous son. And then he says, join me. Jesus says, join me. Trust in me. Be connected to me. And you have what I have. You don't have a righteousness of your own. No, no, no. You don't have a righteousness that comes from the law. But join me. Trust in me. Be found in me, as Paul puts it, verse 8. And you have what I have. You have righteousness. Approved by the Father. Welcomed. Not guilty. Right with him. Free gift. Not because of what you did. Not because of what, who you are. As a free gift. What a gift. I was trying to think of how to picture this this week. And I was thinking it's a little like, I mean, imagine you've got this person in your life that, um, that you want to impress. You want them to like you. Um, maybe that's real for you at the moment. I don't know. There's this person in your life. You really, you know, you look up to them and you want them to like you. And you get invited around to their house for dinner. Um, and you think, wow, this is, this is my opportunity. I'm going to, I'm going to get in. <laughs> I'm going to get part of their little gang. I want to be welcomed by them. You think, I better, I better bring something just to kind of impress them. Um, what am I going to bring? Um, 
I know, I know what I'm going to bring. And you, and you decide what you're going to do, and you're working at it, and you're preparing, and you're working hard to prepare this thing that you're going to offer to this, this person, the host of this dinner party, and, and they'll like you because of it. You'll, you'll get approval. Um, and you think, oh, I better, I better wear the right thing. Um, so you're thinking about what you're going to wear. And, uh, and you're thinking, I want to kind of impress them. I've got to know what to talk about. So you're doing some research. What are some hot topics, things? And I'm going to have the right opinions about those things. So I do some research. And, you, and you're preparing yourself to go to this dinner so that the, the host might like you and welcome you and accept you. So there you are. You get out of the car. You've got your things with you that you've been working on. And slick your hair back a little bit. And here you go. You're feeling a bit nervous because you're not sure. You're not sure if they're going to like you and, and welcome you. But there you go. You go up to the front door. Knock, 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 knock. You hold it out in front of you. Just watch the hair tucking that there. Remember what you're going to say. Okay, here we go. The host opens the door. They look out. And they say, what is that? You say, it's my empty packet of biscuits with weak old oysters. And they they look. I'm being a bit ridiculous, of course. Because it's absolutely ridiculous to think you can be welcomed by God by your own good deeds or being the right kind of person. It's totally ridiculous. Paul says it's crap. Chuck it out. If that's what you're trying to bring before God, just, just think of it this way. You're bringing old fish heads and peanut shells to God, right? It's ridiculous. So God kind of, the host, kind of opens the door and he looks out. And he's like, okay, um, you, uh, you do realize that's, that's kind of rubbish. There's a bin over there if you want. You know. And you look a bit weird. Are you trying to impress me or something like this? Oh, you feel, you feel, okay, you're feeling stupid, right? But then the host says, but who are you with? Who's that with you? And you say, oh, that's Jesus, my Lord. And he says, welcome, come on in. Welcome. I love you. I love anyone who's with my son. I love them like I love my son. You are right with me. Anything between us, gone. You and me, we're right. Come on in. Sit down. Can I get you something? This is the free welcome, friends. Nothing more to do. Trust in Jesus. Your righteousness is in him. You're welcome to the Father. You are proclaimed righteous before him. In the right. Nothing more for you to do. That's it. That's the end. That righteousness that we've been seeking all along, maybe in God, maybe somewhere else, that's what we receive as a free gift. You don't have to become more. This is the pressure I feel. I feel like I need to be more than who I am. I'm somehow insufficient. God says, no. Actually, no, you're entirely insufficient, but Jesus isn't. He's entirely sufficient. You're in him. You're approved, my child. You are right with me, your maker. So chill out. Relax. Take it easy. We're not about you, but I I, I think that's a source of joy um, and peace. Uh, I rejoice in it. And it causes me to think all those things that I've been um, thinking are so important and that I base my confidence in and work on. Look, they, just re- they belong to the side, don't they? Just, can I just clear them out for a moment and just focus my attention on the one who gives me righteousness, actually? That's what I need to do, push that to the side. I mean, all those things are good things, but they're, they're sacrifices of thanksgiving. They're not how I get righteousness. Just wanna, I just want to look at Jesus. Which again is why Paul is so scathing about these false teachers. Making people look away from Jesus and look at those things. Which robs them of their joy. 
Well, I love where Paul ends this passage, where we're going to end this passage. The discontent of a content soul. Um, I've put it this way, Paul's example, knowing Christ each day. Um, Did you notice the little tension between verse 8 and 10? Read that with me, verse 8. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Verse 10, my goal is to know him. So what, Paul, do you know him or you don't? It's one or the other, mate. Come on. Do you know him or do you not? You know, it's not that simple, do you? I mean, you know that. You you know that when you know someone, you kind of, there's always more to know. You kind of know them, but you want to know them more. And the best way to get to know them is to just kind of walk through life with them. Paul loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. He wants to know Jesus more. I'm the same to some extent. I love to read about him. I love reading the Gospels and seeing real-life Jesus and his compassion and the way he react, interacts with people. I love that. But Paul, he's not, he's not like, yep, study's great, fantastic, all good. But I'm talking about walking with Jesus, hand-in-hand hand through life with Jesus. The best way to get to know someone is walk through life with them, and that's what Paul wants to do. And so verse 10, he says, my goal is to know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. That is his, his new life power at work in me now, to live a new life now. And the fellowship of his sufferings, because when I walk with Jesus, bad stuff's going to happen sooner or later. And I want to join him in that, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow which is not sort of a question mark of uncertainties. I don't know how it's going to work, but somehow I'm going to reach the resurrection from among the dead. The beautiful thing for Paul is he doesn't just get righteousness with God. He gets Jesus. He gets the Son. And to know him is to know joy. He is of surpassing value. And again, that is why Paul lashes out at these false teachers. So as I close, let me just, um, I've been thinking, who are the dogs that I want to warn you about? You know, Paul's warning about the dogs. Who should I be warning you about? And I thought, maybe it's me. Um, Maybe. Maybe it's me or other preachers or, you know, people you listen to or books you read. Um, Because if you read verse 2, you think, well, the dogs are going to be easy to spot. They're like rabid and they're angry and they've got four legs and hairy. Or, you know, they look look bad. But they, they don't always. They, they might look like me, actually. No, this is a bit weird. Like, you can still trust me, I think. But, you know, you've got to question the people who are preaching to you. You know, you think, think. Because it is possible to preach in such a way that leaves you or leaves the audience thinking only about themselves. They've lost focus on the all-surpassing sufficiency of Jesus. I think that's, very, that's not very good. We do want to look at ourselves. We want to feel guilty sometimes and feel driven to action, but only a result of of, of seeing Christ and his glory. We want to watch out for that. Church culture can actually be a bit of a dog. Church culture can sometimes have, um, has the ability to make people feel like they don't belong in the church community, and therefore they don't belong with God unless... They talk the right way. They dress the right way. They're the right kind of person. They know the right kinds of things. Friends, can I say, if that's you here, you've felt that way at our church or another, 
I'm sorry. And I'm sorry if I've had a part to play in that because that is not the gospel. It's not a, an embodiment of, of what we receive in the gospel, a free welcome. And can I say, secondly, keep looking to Jesus because he doesn't think you're insufficient. He doesn't think, he's not going to say you need to do something else, you need, to, you need to be someone else. He says, you are who you are. I welcome you. You're right with me. And then he calls you to change. The third thing I was thinking was, you know, I think maybe for some of us, the biggest dog in our life is yourself. You look in the mirror, you might well see a dog looking back at you, saying, you need to be someone else. You need to work hard. I don't like how you are. You need to be someone different. You are insufficient. You need to be more. Friends, when that dog talks to you, talk right on back. No, I don't. I'm righteous in Christ. I'm, I might be unrighteous before God, but Jesus has changed that. He is the entirely righteous one, and I'm in him. I trust him. And so God has welcomed me like he welcomes his own son. I am right with the God who made me. So be quiet, dog. Friends, watch out for that and keep this command. Rejoice in the Lord. How are you going to do that? Well, boast in Christ, have no confidence in the flesh. I'm going to pray for us that we'll do that. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you so much that your uh, desire for us is such a wonderful and good thing. You want us to rejoice. Uh, we want that too. Um, God, thank you that you've provided everything that we need for that to be um, totally possible in every circumstance. Uh, you've made us right with yourself, the God who made us. Father, we want to say sorry uh, for those times that we, um, we kind of want to look to other things and think that they'll make us right before you. We're sorry for the way that that dishonors you, but we're also, we realize that it's, it's foolish and it enslaves us and it's not good. So Father, set us free. Please focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who makes us right before you, perfectly righteous. Father, may we be a community of people who express that reality, talk about it, point each other towards you in our words and in our actions, the way we welcome each other. Father, for those who are here today and feel insufficient, feel like they need to be someone different or do something different, oh, give them freedom in your son. Help them to see life and joy and peace in him, that it is finished in Jesus, righteousness one. And Father, for those for whom this is new, who've been seeking something and not even sure what it was, Father, please, even now, help these people sitting in this room uh, to get a, a little glimpse of Christ and what is possible in him. Joy is possible. Righteousness is possible. Father, show us your son more and more. We pray for his glory and for our everlasting joy. Amen.